morning. I'm leaving my phone over there because there's two young men in this room, and I won't name them, but every time I preach, they start this group chat, and they talk about how I'm doing, but they, but they include me in the group chat. So my laptop just fell, and the one just declared that I said, I said, Furman's folding under the pressure already. So I'm going to leave that over there, and I get to go back after and see how I did, you know what I mean? It's like a review, a performance review. Okay. All right, let's go to prayer. Lord Jesus, this whole thing, this house this gathering, this space that we make, the money that we give, every single thing that takes place here is for you and you alone. Like Joel said last week, one of our values is being Christ-centered, and it is also the value. If we aren't Christ-centered, what do we have? If we don't have you, Jesus, what do we have? We have nothing And you've made us aware of this, and yet you're also making us more aware of this. And so we just make space for you this morning. As we go to you in your word, would it be your word that speaks to us? Don't let it be my words. They're fruitless, Jesus. If we take anything from this place this morning, let it be you, revealed through your word, revealed in worship. Reveal yourself to us, Lord Jesus. Just pray this. Um, I echo the words of Paul, his prayer in Ephesians for us right now. I pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, that he will reveal, that he will grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that we may know you more, Jesus. May you enlighten the eyes of our heart to know this hope that we've been called to, the glorious riches of your inheritance in your holy people, and this incomparably great power for us who believe. Jesus, enlighten the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our heart. Let us see you in a fresh way this morning. Let us experience the glory of your goodness through your word, Jesus. And let everything else fall away. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Honestly, this morning, I just want us to read this word together. Um, This is our last sermon in this series on being Christ-centered. And I just want to experience this portion of the Word of God with you and make space, honestly, for Jesus to let it become more real in us. So I don't have anything too crazy um, in my notes. Honestly, I just truly believe Jesus wants to bring us to a new level of understanding and experiencing the truth in this passage. Um, If I say anything that you remember from this message, just let it be to that end, that we experience him more. 
So let's read. Um, our passage this morning comes from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I liked what Joel did last week. Could we stand as we experience God's word? I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then I placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. (laughs) The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You can have your seats. Some brief background just on this passage, so we're all on the same page. Would you, um, Tim, would you just put up the slide where he's speaking about himself? I think it's a second to last slide, and just leave that up. No, that's not it. Yeah, thank you. Um, just, yeah, we can just leave that up for the, the message. Thank you. So, John is the John who was a disciple of Jesus, who walked with Jesus during his ministry, witnessed his death, witnessed his resurrection, and after Jesus was res- ascended into heaven, um, became one of the apostles who was responsible for starting the early church. And so, This letter um, picks up in a place in John's life a little while down the road where he um, is being heavily persecuted for sharing the good news, for sharing the good news of Jesus. And he is um, exiled to this island called Patmos. And so it's in this place of suffering 
for the name of Jesus, where John receives this vision from Jesus. So it says he's in the spirit, and all of a sudden, this begins to unfold. And he, he, he hears this voice behind him, and he turns around to see who it is, and he sees Jesus. And he describes Jesus to us, and in all the glory of Jesus in that moment, he falls to his feet as though slain. So that is where this came from. And then the rest of the letter of Revelation is um, Jesus revealing to us what is to come, what his return will look like, his warnings to the church as his coming approaches. Um, And so it's just the beginning of this long um, experience from Jesus. So I think the one obvious thing from this passage that I want us to focus on this morning is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's not a baby in a manger. He's not hanging dead on a cross somewhere. He's not lying in a grave. Jesus is alive. Seated in power, seated in glory forever and ever. Would you actually go back one slide, Tim? One more, sorry. Thanks. Okay, so this description of Jesus, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand, he held seven stars. It's like when we think about this, it's almost like you like, when I was reading it this week, I was just like laughing. So I'm like, this is crazy. Like this description of him is crazy. And honestly, like I believe it's like I laugh. We sort of laugh when we like look at this because I don't think like here and now we can like fully grasp the magnitude of what is being described to us in this passage. Like, we can't just read words on a page and fully grasp the glory of Jesus as it's being described to us. It's beyond what we could grasp. If we really could, I believe we would do exactly what John did and just fall to our feet. Like, we could not realize the magnitude of the glory and the holiness of Jesus and remain in this place of, like, standing. (laughs) It just doesn't, it's not possible And I believe, like, why Jesus would give this description to us, why Jesus would reveal himself to us like this, is it's like he wants to take us from seeing it on a page to, like, experiencing it more. Like, to being completely consumed and captivated by his glory. And we cannot do that on our own. We can't read it enough and work ourselves up into that. It's the revelation of Jesus. Just like Jesus revealed himself to John in that moment, Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. Isn't that a good thing? Jesus is alive. He's alive and he's seated in glory as the King of kings for all eternity.
I was just dumbstruck by the way that John, John isn't like us. John knew Jesus like personally on earth. Like John walked with Jesus physically for years. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He saw him give sight to the blind. He saw Jesus walking on water. He saw Jesus raise the dead. And he saw a resurrected Jesus. He saw all of those things. He experienced Jesus. He knew him. And yet, when he sees him in this state, he falls to his feet as though dead. How can this be that he would spend years with this man and yet he wouldn't recognize him? Jesus' response to him was he came over and put his hand on him and he said, Hey, it's me. You know me. It's the one, I'm the living one, the one who was dead, but look, I'm alive again. How can this be that John wouldn't recognize Jesus? How is, can it be that he couldn't stand in his presence? And here we see the glory of Jesus. He's in his resurrected, glorified, eternal state. And if it was too much for John, then we would all be toast if we ever stood So here John is, like, lying there, slain, can't move, completely terrified, just paralyzed in fear of this thing that is before him, this, this mighty God that is before him. And Jesus' response to John is so tender and loving. So we <laughs> notice the tender, compassionate love. Jesus says, hey, it's me. He puts his, his right hand on him, touches him. It's me. I am the first and the last, the living one, the one who is dead and is now alive again. I'll bet before John recognized Jesus by anything else, I'll bet he recognized him by that first. He knew that touch. He knew that tender compassion. He knew that voice. I bet John recognized that before you could even lift his eyes to really see him for who he was. And so we have Jesus in this glorified, majestic, mighty, holy state. And we have Jesus who is full of love, full of compassion, full of tenderness for us. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. So I just, if there's anything that this passage gives us, it's that that is who Jesus is, and it's who he will be forever. When we talk about being Christ-centered, we're not talking about Jesus and other things, right? We've been talking about Jesus only. This is him. He's that good. He is someone who we can be totally and completely consumed by. Lost in his eyes of blazing fire somehow trembling at his feet and also standing in his tender love and affection. He is worthy of being our only. He is worthy of that. He's good. He's beautiful. So Jesus speaks to John. And he declares himself to be the first and the last, the living one who was once dead and is now alive forever and ever. Church, his words, his declaration that he's alive forever and ever is our words of life too. Because Jesus, like this is some good news, because Jesus rose again, 
and Jesus is now seated in the heavenly places, we are now resurrected to life and somehow seated in the heavenly places with him. His words of life, his declaration that he's alive, that he holds the keys of death, that's like our words of life. We've been baptized unto death, like Joel talked about last week, and raised to life with Christ. And now we're seated in this heavenly place with him. Like how, how could we truly, fully comprehend something like that? That I have been able to join in with Jesus in this baptism unto my own death, only then to be resurrected to this life in Jesus, considered holy by a holy God and seated in heavenly places. Jesus, I just pray that you would make us more like aware of this. Would you help us to comprehend this more? Like this is our reality in the kingdom of God. And I say this for myself. I'm on this journey right now. Like, (laughs) if this doesn't somehow, like, captivate me and consume me, then I'm missing something about it because it's the best thing in the world. There is nothing else that this world could possibly ever hold out in its hand and offer that could compare with being seated in the heavenly realms with the King of kings and Lord of lords counted one of his. What could compare with that? Nothing. There's some parts about it that are just truly too incredible to fully comprehend. I think it'll make more sense someday in heaven. These words are the most wonderful words we could ever hear. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Was dead And now I'm alive forever and ever. And by the way, I hold the keys to death. These are the best words we could ever hear. Sweet to our ears. What could be better for the one who's lost their life for the sake of the good news? To hear the one that the one they've laid it all down for is alive and reigning forever and holds the keys to death. Jesus' resurrected life is our resurrected life. Praise God. So Jesus then tells John to write down all he sees and hears and deliver it to the seven churches. And he explains to John in this passage that the seven, so remember John looks and the first thing he sees are these seven lampstands. And it says, among the lampstands is one like a son of man. So Jesus gives meaning to these lampstands to John. He tells him straight up. He says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the lampstands in this vision are the church of Christ. That's me and that's you. We are these lampstands, the ones whom the living one walks among. And what do lampstands do? They hold the flame of something. We are meant to carry the flame of Jesus. We are meant to burn 
for Jesus. Do you see all these bright, white, light descriptors of Jesus? Hair, white as wool, white as snow, eyes like blazing fire, his face shining like the sun and all his brilliance in his hand. Seven stars, which I heard someone tell me this week, are like these burning balls of bright gas in his hand. Do you see these descriptors? Jesus is a consuming fire. When it says it in Hebrews 12, Paul's not messing around. Jesus is a consuming fire. Everything about him burns and glows. And when we carry Jesus, we carry his flame. He really is the light of the world. Just backtracking to my last sermon in John 1. He is the light in the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. Jesus is the light of the world. He wants the reality of his love, his glory, and his coming to engulf us like a flame. I want to read from quickly from Matthew chapter five, 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, quick, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both me and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour of his return. In this passage, this description of lampstands is just the ultimate beautiful call to keep our lamps burning. You know, someone could stand up here all day and tell, you know, yell at you till you're blue in the face and tell you you have to do this or you have to do that or you're going to miss out on Jesus. But Jesus just simply gives us a picture of what we're meant to be. We're meant to be these lampstands, not by ourselves. Jesus is among us. It is Jesus' great pleasure to burn in us, to consume us. This is what we were meant for to carry the flame of Jesus from now until his return. This journey of becoming Christ-centered is a never-ending journey into deeper and greater. I think all of these things, we know them, we believe them, that's why we're here. And yet, there's something greater to Jesus that he can take us even deeper into the reality of his existence, of his reign, of his glory, of his return, of his fire in us. There's always more. 
And I believe right now we're in a season where he's giving us more of him. He is taking us deeper. By the way, this is what being transformed by the renewal of your mind is. It's not just a removal of sin. It's the death of sin on us and waking up to the reality that Jesus really is everything that he says he is. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, the one who was dead and is now alive forever and ever. Waking up to the reality that Jesus is everything we ever wanted, everything we ever needed, everything he says that he is. That's renewing our mind. Just listen to this prayer from Paul to the church of Ephesus. If you could just close your eyes and just receive this as a prayer. When I think of all these things, when I think of all these things, I fall to my knees and I pray to the God, the Father of all the heavens and all the earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, just how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great and too vast to understand fully. Then you will be made complete in all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now to him who is able, according to his great work, his mighty power at work within you, to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or imagine. Amen. So this verse, Paul is praying this to a church of believers. These people already have Jesus. They're already in the church. And yet Paul says, and he's describing the glorious goodness of the gospel. And he says, like, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I beg the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he would, according to his limited glorious resources, empower you with inner strength. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Why is he saying that if they're already believers? Why is he saying, may Christ make your home in your heart? May you experience the love of Christ. Then you will be made complete. He's saying this to people who are already following Jesus, but it's because he knows there's more. There's more. Don't you want the more? I want to be so alive with Jesus that it's like, man, like that's all I can think about. Is this? It's what I dwell on. It's what I meditate on. This is my reality. Um, there's something about Jesus where He's revealed Himself to us, and yet He's still revealing Himself to us. 
To be Christ-centered is to be fully awake, fully alive, alive in his eternal life, carrying his aflame, burning for him, like the wise virgin awaiting his return with our lamps still aflame. And just to go back to what Joel mentioned earlier in the service, Jesus wants you. We're talking about wanting more of Jesus. It's because Jesus somehow wants more of us. Jesus is so vastly and deeply in love with you. He is so consumed with zeal for you. We were just praying that um, earlier this week. Jesus said, uh, zeal for your house will consume me, and we are now that house. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Zeal for you consumes Jesus. Jesus wants to be more in us. He wants to be everything in us. Like, I just keep feeling this, this thought in my head that's like, in this season and the life of our church, like we thankfully thank, praise Lord Jesus, we are a Christ-centered body. We are not like concerned with performance. We are not concerned with becoming something great. Like thank the Lord Jesus. He has freed us from so much and he has brought us into so much freedom in him. But I just have this thought in my head. that's like in this season right now, like Jesus is coming for all of us. It's an invitation out of his deep love to be completely consumed by Jesus. And so, as we um, close out this service, um, I'm just going to, um, I'm going to dismiss the service in a moment, and then we're just going to continue to make space as we have been. Um, you know, I don't feel like a strong direction of somewhere that some certain way that we need to respond I just want to create space for us to just um, be in the presence of Jesus for him to minister to our hearts for us to respond to him you know for some that may look like repentance like repentance isn't a bad thing repentance is a great gift from God an invitation into deeper into more and you know in the next chapter in Revelation those, those seven churches that Jesus addressed in that chapter, he writes letters to each church. And in five of the seven, there is a call to repentance. And in one of them, he says, I rebuke and I correct those I love. So it is probably impossible to really go deeper and become more Christ-centered without repentance. So this morning, like, that might be a, a great space for you to just consider that and examine. Listen for the voice of the Spirit. But where is he calling you to give to him, to surrender to him, and come alive in him? Um, and, you know, my heart, like, goes out, too, for just those. If you're in this room and you have, like, witnessed like our worship gatherings. You've witnessed it, and you thought it's maybe if it's, an, it's good and you like it, um, and you like how it feels alive, and people are worshiping God, and you love God, and all of that. Um, but you haven't, like, ever had a visceral encounter with the Holy Spirit in this sort of context. Um, like, maybe this is just a morning to just sit in his presence and receive that from him.
Um, so I just, like, want to create space. And if you need prayer, of course, like, whenever I dismiss at the prayer ministers, if you guys would come up. Um, we're just going to create space and probably worship a little bit. Um, but feel free to be dismissed. Feel free to just linger and respond to the Spirit, however he's speaking. Um, but Lord Jesus, you are alive. You are alive. Seated in power and glory forever and ever. You're a consuming fire. You're passionately in love with your church. Jesus, make us, as you are already making us Christ-centered, make us even more so. Help us to see everything through the eyes of Jesus. Everything through the reality of your return, of your coming. Because you're coming. You're coming soon, you say. At whatever cost, Jesus, fan into flame this fire. Fan it into flame within us. To burn for you. To burn as a light in the mission of this world. Fan it into flame, Lord Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.